Hi everyone, I'm Gary Lewis and welcome to the GEO Podcast. And in today's session, I'm going to talk about relative dating. Or, if you like, when a geologist is out in the field, how do they work out which rock is older and which rock is younger and what methods do they use to try to work that out? And in this case, this is not about working out the absolute age of something by putting the number of years on something. This is just working out what event took place first. And so the dating is relative from one thing to the next. And really, this was one of the most important principles that was worked out when geology was starting to become a science. So before we start talking about relative dating, we really need to talk about a really important principle when it comes to geology. And in fact, it's important when it comes to anything we study about the planet. In science, we call it uniformitarianism. And what that really means is the processes that we see taking place on the Earth right now have always taken place on the Earth. Or, to put it more simply, the present is the key to the past. So in practical terms, what that really means is when we see a rock in an outcrop, the processes that form that rock are processes that we could go and find forming rocks today. So now if we understand that, we can talk about working out the relative dating of rocks in an outcrop. And we use a number of simple rules that we can run when we're looking at the rocks to work out what came first. The first rule we use is called the law of superposition. And basically it refers to rocks in a sedimentary sequence. And it says that the rocks at the bottom of the layers must be older than the rocks that are at the top because if the rocks haven't been overturned then the first layer must have been put down first then the second layer was laid on top of that and then the third layer was deposited on top of that and so on making the rock at the bottom older than the rock at the top and the rock at the top is older than the rock directly below it simple really Where this can become complicated is in areas like mountain building where the rocks have been folded. And in some locations, rocks have been folded completely over on top of themselves. So some of the layers are actually upside down. So one of the important tools that a geologist has in their mental toolbox is to go and look for structures inside those sedimentary rocks to see if the rock is still the right way up. We call those things way-upness structures, and they include things like looking at cross-bedding or whether grains are becoming finer through the sequence. So at the bottom of the layer, they're coarse, and as you move up finer and finer, they're grading up into finer materials. And there's a whole pile of other sedimentary structures that a geologist can use to work out whether the rock is still the right way up or whether it's been overturned. And obviously, if the rock has just been tilted, then we can at least use the same processes to work out which way is the bottom. If it's only at a slight angle, we assume that the bottom is going to be older. But if they are really steep, and in some outcrops I've been to, the rocks are almost standing vertically, you really need to look for those way up structures to work out which is the top and which is the bottom. 
than in sedimentary rocks, of course, we can also go and hunt for fossils in those rocks and try to work out the relative ages of the rocks based on the faunal succession, the types of fossils that we find in those rocks. So because life has evolved over time, different life forms have lived for different lengths of time and left behind their remains in sedimentary rocks. These fossils can be really important when we're trying to work out the relative ages of rocks. Some of these life forms lived for only very short periods of time, but they had a worldwide distribution and were very abundant. So if we find their fossilised remains in a sedimentary rock, we've got a pretty good idea of the relative age of the rock. Other life forms evolved quickly, but over a long period of time. So you started with one version of the animal, and then over time it slowly changed and became a different version of the animal. So we've ended up with a fossil sequence of the changes of the animal over time, and that can be used brilliantly to work out the relative ages of rocks. If you find one form of that animal at the top layer, and if you go down through the layers you find the earlier version, then you know that you've got the sequence the right way up. The hassle with the fossils is that you have to find the fossils so some life forms makes it almost impossible, like a dinosaur. The chances of finding a dinosaur bone in every single layer is next to none. And in fact, the smaller the life form, the easier they are to find in the fossil record. So microfossils play a really important part in working out the relative ages of sedimentary sequences, especially in things like a diamond drill core, where you're only working with a piece of rock that may be a few centimetres across. I'm probably delving too deep here, but the important thing to know is that we can use the changes in types of fossils from layer to layer in a rock to work out which rocks are relatively older or younger than each other. But not all the rocks that we have on the planet are sedimentary rocks containing fossils. So we need to have a look at what other types of evidence we can use, especially when it comes to, say, igneous rocks. So to work out the relative dating of igneous rocks, we look at the cross-cutting relationship between that igneous rock and its surrounding rocks. So if an igneous rock body cuts across layers of sedimentary rocks, then we know that igneous rock body must have come after the layers of sedimentary rocks, making the igneous rock younger than all of the sedimentary rocks. Likewise, if we already have an igneous rock and it is cut by, say, a dike of a different type of igneous rock, then we know that the dike rock must be younger than the igneous rock that it's cut across. Sometimes in igneous rocks, especially large bodies like a granite, we actually find the remains, or chunks if you like, of the rock that it melted through to get into place. And we call those remains xenoliths. And those xenoliths, those remains of the other rock that are in the igneous rock, are older than the igneous rock because they must have existed before the igneous rock came in and melted around them. So that's the basis for sedimentary rocks and igneous rocks. When we get to metamorphic rocks, it becomes really quite complicated. In many cases, we go looking for the original sedimentary structures 
in some of those metamorphic rocks, but often the metamorphic rocks are so changed because of the metamorphism, all of that evidence gets wiped out. But we do know that the metamorphic event must be younger than the original rock that has been changed. Then when we come to look at geologic structures like folds and faults and unconformities, then we put these into a sort of a different category. Again, it's cross-cutting. So a fault that has broken the rocks and the rocks have moved on either side of the fault must be younger than all the rocks that it's broken. If rocks are folded to form anticlines and synclines, then the event that folded the rocks must be younger than the layers of rocks themselves. And that all makes perfect sense when you think about it. The special structure when we are working out relative time to try to find if you've got one is an unconformity. An unconformity is a geological structure where rock has been removed probably due to erosion over a period of time. So imagine you've got a sequence of rocks that get exposed at the surface and get ground away by weathering and erosion and then new layers of material are placed on top. That old eroded surface is an unconformity, representing a loss in time. Fortunately for us, most unconformities are angular, meaning that they cut across the layers. And that way we can see that it's an unconformity. There are some unconformities, however, that are parallel to the layers of rocks, making it really, really difficult to see the unconformity. And in those cases, we really look at like faunal successions, work out that the unconformity is even there. So to put all this into practice, when a geologist goes into the field and looks at, say, like a road cutting, they're looking at the layers of the rocks, the cross-cutting relationships between an igneous rock and sedimentary rocks, if there are any faults present, if there is any folding present, if there is any unconformities, and then looking at the sedimentary rocks close up, they might look for a way up in the structure to make sure things haven't been turned upside down. So it's a detective game to put all of these things into place to work out the sequence from what took place first through to what took place last. On a larger scale, geologists will go and look for that evidence in outcrops all over a huge area, then come back and try to put all that evidence together to work out the sequence of geological events that took place over the entire region. And being involved in something like that is a fascinating experience. So now in the early days of geology, geologists took information that they gathered from these regional mapping events and they came up with a geologic sequence from where the oldest rocks were through to the youngest rocks. And that evolved over time to become the geological timescale, which I'm sure you've all seen. The geological timescale broken down into eras, and periods and so on has been a really important tool for geologists working out relative ages because the geologic timescale for the Earth has got recorded the faunal succession and other events that geologists can use to try to work out the relative ages of the materials that they're seeing in the field. The modern-day geologic timescale now has got lots of other things added to it, like the absolute dates between periods that have been added from using absolute dating methods, which we'll talk about in a future episode. 
but for now, if you want other information about geology or geologic processes, or if you're a teacher looking for resources to use in your classroom, or a student who's trying to further their geologic knowledge, then go and have a look at our website. That's geoetc.com, G-E-O-E-T-C.com. And I hope that you will find the resources there that you're looking for. But for now, just keep on rocking.